Hosea chapter 2, please. Hosea chapter 2, and we are looking at the seventh commandment, the most infamous of the Ten Commandments. And Hosea chapter 2 came to me last night, and I thought it was very relevant, very appropriate. Hosea chapter 2, Hosea chapter 2, look at verse 2 if you will. Plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife, neither am I her husband. Let her therefore put away her whoredoms out of her sight, and her adulteries from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and set her as in the day that she was born, and make her as a wilderness, and set her like a dry land, and slay her with thirst. So Hosea is a type of God, and we could suggest that for the Old Testament, when God is spoken about, it's in reference to God the Father. We know from Isaiah chapter 9 that Jesus Christ is referred to as Israel's everlasting father. And that's alluded to from John 21 when he speaks to the apostles and calls them children. So therefore during the new earth, Jesus Christ is Israel's father, never God the father. So therefore Hosea for the Old Testament is a type of God the father. And Hosea's wife, Gomar, is a type of Israel. Look at verse 24. And I will not have mercy upon her children, for they be the children of whoredoms bit like the Protestant denominations, all daughters of the whore, and of course the whore is the Roman Catholic Church. Look at verse 5. For their mother hath played the harlot, she that conceived them hath done shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers that give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, mine oil and my drink. Very reminiscent to the book of Jeremiah, where the apostate children of Israel were sacrificing to the queen of heaven and of course the catholic church sacrificed to their queen of heaven and of course they believe their queen of heaven is mary this is what we call spiritual adultery so therefore hosea chapter 2 verses 2 3 4 and 5 deal with a literal man being hosea a prophet he was told to marry a whore being gomar but of course gomar is a type of israel and hosea is a type of god the father if you think about men who have sex with lots of women, they are called whoremongers. If you think of women that have sex with lots of men, they are referred to as whores. Go to Revelation chapter 2. So I was thinking about this last night, thinking about these verses dealing with spiritual adultery. And we spent last Sunday looking at physical adultery, which is very well known. Doesn't need much more preaching or explanation from yours truly. But we hear very little concerning spiritual adultery. Revelation chapter 2, Revelation chapter 2, look at verse 20 if you will. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which called herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants, to commit fornication, and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. Fornication, pornia in Greek, that's where the word pornography comes from. If you go back to Corinth, back in the first century, they had a very infamous temple on a very high hill and part of the service, part of the worship was group sex. And not only that, they would use objects during their group activities. I won't get too graphic, but that's basically what they would do. And they thought it was a route. They thought it was a way to get closer to deity. And therefore, when the Apostle Paul arrived in Corinth, today, modern day Vegas, he had his work cut out for him. He would preach a pretty hard message. And this was a big problem for the first century. And here, the Lord is speaking to the church in uh, Pergamos, verse 12. 
And as always, you've got saved people and unsaved people. And here God's people are being seduced, not sexually, but spiritually. Of course, they do go together, you understand. Look at verse 21. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. She, in reference to a church, like Pergamos. Now, back in the first century, this was a literal church. From memory, in modern-day Turkey, and like every church, like the history of the church, you've got two wings, you've got the legalists and the libertarians. It's very rare to find somebody who's right down the middle, not too legalistic, not too liberal. 22. Behold, I were cast into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. He's speaking to his people. Second Corinthians chapter 13, Paul says right at the end of that amazing epistle how many, not some, but many, were committing fornication. They're going back into their old lifestyles, group sex again. For men, whoremongers, for women, whores, but the word of God defines such as fornication. A very broad word, has many definitions. Behold, I were cast into a bed, picturing infamy, of course, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. So there was time for this church to come back to the Lord. And here adultery is synonymous with fornication. And I'm going to say this, that as far as I am concerned, spiritual adultery is in many cases worse than physical adultery. Because adultery, once you define it, and we spent a good 40 minutes last Sunday defining it from the standpoint of the scripture, not the state. But when adultery takes place, two people are involved, then a third person comes onto the scene, and sometimes that can be contained. But when you commit spiritual adultery against God, when an entire denomination or most of Christendom commits adultery, spiritual adultery, spiritual fornication, that is broad. And the whole world get to see that. And if you watch the news or read the papers, when a story breaks concerning the Catholic Church, it's all over the media, that blasphemes God. Because the world think that church is linked to God. Of course they're not, but they pretend to be. 23, and I will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts. And I will give unto every one of you according to your works. You reap what you sow. And here a church has gone south, as we say. A church has started a backslide. And going back to Hosea chapter 2, God is dealing with Israel. And when he dealt with Israel back in the Old Testament, he issued them a bill of divorcement. He divorced Israel. Now later on, book of Romans tells you how all Israel will be saved. He's going to bring Israel back into him. Picture of reconciliation. But for Revelation chapter 2, this is aimed at the church. And this goes back once again to the two natures of the believer. Go to Deuteronomy 21. Some years ago, we were doing some street work in London, and Patrick was speaking to a chap who had been in the porn industry. They call it adult entertainment, and he was saved. And basically, he'd come out of the porn industry, and was just speaking about it, and the scars that he probably still lives with. And it's always interesting when you meet people like that. And this reminds me of a story that I remember hearing years ago. It was an interview that I read online about an American female porn star, and she got saved. And she did come out of it, and she got involved with a church, but she had many problems. You see, the churches didn't like her. The churches didn't feel comfortable with her in their pews, going back to self-righteousness, going back to that pharisaical uh, spirit. And she felt she didn't really belong in the church system. Many people were suspicious of her. And on top of that, she was very critical of feminism. 
and the feminists in America were also giving her a hard time. Well, to cut a long story short, she started to backslide. She didn't belong in the church, didn't belong in society, and unfortunately she went back into her old way of life. She felt more at home with those people, you see. Going back to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, how many, not some, were committing fornication, like group sex, like sex orgies. There was a story in the paper this week of an Italian priest, and this Italian priest was in hot water, and has been in hot water, for having relations with 13 of his parishioners. And he was sent to a monastery to reflect, they don't use the word repent, and on top of that he was visiting orgies, so on and so forth. That's fornication. That's basically what fornication is. It's not just flesh meeting flesh, which we'll discuss again this morning, but it's group sex. Going back to Revelation chapter 2. My people, fornication, uh, committing adultery, so on and so forth, aids to worship also, statues, relics, rosary beads. It's all adultery, spiritual adultery. Deuteronomy 21, Deuteronomy 21, look at verse 10 please. And when thou goest forth to war against thine enemies, and the Lord thy God hath delivered them into thine hands, and thou hast taken them captive, and seest among the captives a beautiful woman, and hast a desire unto her, that thou wouldest have her to thy wife, then thou shalt bring her home to thine house, and she shall shave her head and pare her nails, and she shall put the raiment of her captivity from off her, and shall remain in thine house and bewail her father and her mother a full month, and after that thou shalt go in unto her, and be her husband, and she shall be thy wife. No ceremony, no rings being exchanged, no vows taken, no best men giving speeches, no father of the bride giving her away, no marriage supper, no feast, flesh meeting flesh. And it shall be, verse 14, if thou hast no delight in her, then thou shalt let her go whither she will. But thou shalt not sell her at all for money. Thou shalt not make merchandise of her, because thou hast humbled her. So whether you like it or not, when flesh meets flesh, or whether it's a saved party or an unsaved party, as far as the scripture, as far as the scripture is concerned, that is a marriage. Of course, there are legal problems in this country if you just move in with someone and have relations and children are subsequently born, there's no rights for those children. And many people, when their relationships break down, they try to get alimony, they try to get legal cover, they try to get a recompense of some kind, only to be told by the state that they were never married to begin with. They call that a common law marriage. But as far as scripture is concerned, flesh meeting flesh substitutes a marriage. Look at verse 15. If a man have two wives, one beloved and another hated, and they have borne him children, both the beloved and the hated. And if the firstborn son be hers, that was hated, then it shall be, when he maketh a son to inherit that which he hath, that he may not make the son of the beloved firstborn before the son of the hated, which is indeed the firstborn. This is one of the reasons why you don't have more than one wife. You have two or three wives on the go, like Elkanah with Hannah and Penina, a threesome, as they call such. Children are born. Jealousy soon rears its ugly head. Kids start to fight. Look at David. One of his sons raped one of his sisters. And another son killed the son in question. 17. But he should acknowledge the son of the hated for the firstborn, by giving him a double portion of all that he hath. For he is the beginning of his strength. The rights of the firstborn is his. So the Lord would allow this to take place, but he will also legislate for such to take place. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. In an ideal world, 
Boy meets girl, proposes to her, she accepts, they get married, they stay together. That's, of course, how it should be. If you want to get married in a church, you can do so. It's not a sin. You want to get married in a registry office, you can do so. It's not a sin. But my whole point is, it's not scriptural. You were never told to do that. God's not against it. He won't condemn you for it. But it's not found in the scripture. It's a custom. It's a tradition which has been passed down over the years. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Look at verse 20, if you will. But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. This goes back to yoking with unsaved people. And yes, you can be cordial. You can be polite. You can have relations to some extent with non-Christians. But you don't want to get too close to them. You get too close to them, they will start to contaminate you. They will start to turn your heart from the Lord. That was Solomon's problem. It wasn't just the women per se, like a thousand. But it was that they were pagans worshipping other gods. And slowly but surely, they were able to turn Solomon's heart from the Lord. Look at 21. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. Separation. Not always easy. You are told to walk a fine line. And yet many times we struggle to do so. Look at verse 14. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. Aimed at Christians. Because Christians are visual and Christians like to see what they are worshipping. The worst people when it comes to idolatry are Catholics. They have statues, they have rosary beads, they have idols, relics. They are very visual. They can't just take the Bible and only have the Bible. They have their traditions, they have their priest system. And here time after time Paul is trying to get people to push beyond this limitation of putting God in a box. Jesus Christ told you to worship God in spirit and in truth, being sincerity, love, honesty, but on top of that, no need of idols, no need of relics, no need of aids. Go to chapter 6, chapter 6, look at verse 15. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. Again, a harlot, a whore, denoting a woman, a whore, a monger, denoting a man. Going back to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Going back to Revelation chapter 2. How many of you have lost your first love? God forbid, he says. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two saith he shall be one flesh. So it makes no difference whether you like this or not, whether you accept this or not. When flesh meets flesh, you've got a marriage. You've got a marriage. It may not be recognized by the state, but it's recognized as far as scripture is concerned. Go to James chapter 4. James chapter 4, James chapter 4, look at verse 1 please. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members? Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. That's one of the main reasons why your prayers don't get answered. Because many times you are praying amiss. Many times your prayers are not sincere. People say this, I want money. I want a house. I want a car. I want a wife. I want a husband. I want children. I want promotion. It's like me, me, me. Look at verse 4. This is the real problem. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world 
is enmity with God. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world, whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world, is the enemy of God. And this is the problem, isn't it? Christians want to roll and mix and associate with the world. Most Christians don't want to speak against the world system because they're very comfortable. They are very secure. And if you get too comfortable, too secure, you start to dry up. You start to backslide. And once you start to dry up, and once you start to backslide, you are guilty of spiritual adultery. And God sees you as somebody who has lost their first love. Go to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Look at verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now I looked at one commentary this past week, and I was... Or it was made clear in the commentary that if you don't love the Father, you are unsaved. That's not true. You can quench the Holy Ghost. You can grieve the Holy Ghost. You can become backslidden. And you can commit the sin unto death. That's what 1 Corinthians 11 is all about. Weak, sickly, in reference to Christians that were sinning, wouldn't repent. And the Lord took them home early to glory. But here these people have lost their love for the Lord. They're more in love with the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh... And the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. It's temporary. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Go to Jeremiah chapter 15. It's difficult to be a Christian. It's always been difficult to be a Christian. Getting saved is pretty straightforward. But once you are saved, standing against apostasy is difficult. Standing against false theology is difficult. And putting up with all of the wickedness is really difficult. And Jeremiah knew what this was all about. Jeremiah 15, Jeremiah 15, look at 15. O Lord, thou knowest, remember me and visit me and revenge me of my persecutors. And yet when Stephen was being executed over in the book of Acts, he said, Lord, forgive them, forgive them. But here Jeremiah, Old Testament saint, he wants blood. Take me not away in thy long suffering. Know that for thy sake I have suffered rebuke and he certainly had done he's a great type of jesus as well thy words were found and i did eat them very reminiscent to john over in revelation eat the word of the lord it was bitter in his belly and of course we refer to such as bitter sweets and thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart for i am called by thy name i'm a jew jeremiah jehovah O lord god of hosts look at verse 17 I sat not in the assembly of the mockers, nor rejoiced. I sat alone because of thy hand, but thou hast filled me with indignation. Solo worship, sitting alone, just you and the Lord, not wasting five minutes with false churches, dead churches. Matthew chapter 20 says, where two or three gather in my name, I am there in the midst of such people. That's priceless. That's beautiful. 18. Why is my pain perpetual? Am my wound incurable, which refuseth to be healed? Wilt thou be altogether unto me as a liar, and as waters that fail? So poor old Jeremiah was really struggling, suffering, and yet he remained faithful, although slightly bitter, to be fair. Go to Second Samuel chapter 6. Thou shalt not commit adultery physically, spiritually. And again, I'm going to suggest this, that the spiritual part of it is neglected. If you are born again Christian and you're using some of these modern Bibles, they are Catholic Bibles, they are from Catholic manuscripts. That is another form of spiritual adultery. You're compromising. 
If you're an English-speaking person, you should be using the English Bible. And of course, the English Bible is the King James Bible. If you are a non-English non speaker, you can use your, a Bible from your own tongue, providing it's come from the Textus Receptus. And I know non-English speakers that use the King James Bible, and they put English speakers to shame. 2 Samuel chapter 6, 2 Samuel chapter 6, look at verse 6. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God, and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. For the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error. And there he died by the ark of God. This is fascinating. You've got a man who approaches the Lord with an impure heart, if you will. Sin in his heart, perhaps. And he touches the ark. Picture of idolatry. A picture of uncleanness. A picture of spiritual adultery, if you will. And it says here one more time. And God smote him there for his error. Verse 7. And there he died by the ark of God. And yet David would collect wives and concubines like trophies. Was called a man after... A man after God's own heart was never once punished for his women. If you don't believe me, go to 1 Kings uh, chapter 15. Of course, he would suffer indirectly, you understand. His kingdom was a very divided kingdom, and we may return later uh, and look at David in more detail when we hit the 10th commandment. But 1 Kings uh, chapter 15 pretty much sums up the life of King David. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 15, 1 Kings chapter 15, look at verse 4. Nevertheless, for David's sake, did the Lord his God give him a lamp in Jerusalem to set up his son after him and to establish Jerusalem? Because David did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. Not always he did. And turned not aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life. Not always. On one occasion he would team up with the Philistines and attack Israel. Save apart from excluding only in the matter of Uriah the Hittite, concerning this man's sacrifice. David sacrificed him, first and foremost, to cover the sin with Bathsheba. He lost his life because of David's behavior. And on top of that, David would also sacrifice the men of Uriah. He went out with a group of faithful sons of Israel, and David sacrificed them indirectly to Dagon who of course was the God of the Philistines. But one more time. Nevertheless, for David's sake, did the Lord his God give him a lamp in Jerusalem to set up his son after him and to establish Jerusalem. For the sakes of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, Israel is safe, is forever God's covenantal people. But because David did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord concerning the Davidic kingdom, being a priest, a prophet and a king, not his personal life, and turned not aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, save except only in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. So basically, King David was an adulterer, was a fornicator, but he wasn't a spiritual adulterer. He wasn't a spiritual fornicator, because as far as I am concerned, the worst sin in scripture is idolatry. Idolatry. And we spent two or three Sundays looking at that specific sin. All sin is sin, and of course you know if you break one of the Ten Commandments, you've broken all of the Ten Commandments. But as far as David was concerned, he had his faults, adultery, fornication, but he wasn't guilty of spiritual adultery. Unlike Solomon, who was guilty of spiritual adultery. Unlike most of the churches today, which are also guilty of spiritual adultery. And that's why these churches are dead. That's why so many of these churches are closing down. If it wasn't for the charismatic movements, signs and wonders, most of these churches would be just closed down, carpet shops. There'd be nobody going to such places because they'd have nothing to offer anyone. But they're able to put on a show. They're able to offer something which 
most people don't get anywhere else. So I'll say this in close. Basically, there are two strands to adultery. And like I said, when we get to the 10th commandments, we will return and look at David in a bit more detail. But I don't want to spend too much time attacking King David. He was a remarkable man. He was a saved man, as were most of the greats, and not all of the greats back in the Old Testament. But they had two natures. They had a weakness, as all people do. And they are exposed, if you will, in Scripture for when they would sin. A polygamous marriage was permitted. It wasn't the Lord's desire if you will go back to adam and eve he put them together he married them no third party present no jp no vicar no priest no prophet and they came together and of course they came together to procreate that's the whole purpose of it really but over the years men want more than just one woman they want two or three and yet in spite of all that like elkanah with hannah and panina god almighty looked at samuel or who'd come along as a result of the marriage between Alcana and Hannah and he would bless an adulterer it's a paradox it's a dichotomy you can't really explain it because Christians God's people do sin God's people do commit adultery they do commit fornication they shouldn't but they do and of course if you are saved you will be chastised for that but you won't lose your salvation and this also goes back to the millennial inheritance which I may look at down the line I may have to slightly revise my understanding of what it means to be in the millennial kingdom when I Take a closer look at King David and Co. But I think 2 Samuel 6, 6 and verse 7 is very clear that a man who touched the Ark of the Covenant with unpure hands in an idolatrous sense, spiritual or sexual fornication, but more spiritually based, I think, would lose his life. Whereas David committed sexual fornication, sexual adultery, and didn't lose his life. Going back to John chapter 4, how God commands you to worship him in spirit and in truth. But again, when flesh meets flesh, whether you like it or not, that is a marriage as far as the scripture is concerned, not as far as the state is concerned. And one more time, I'm not against church weddings or a wedding in a registry office, I'm not against it. But as a Bible believer, I have to be honest. You've got all the verses that deal with a marriage, not holy matrimony. That's what the Church of Rome call it. They say it's a sacrament. There's no such word in the scripture. There's no such thing as a sacrament in the scripture. You have an ordinance. You have two ordinances, which is baptism and the Lord's Supper. That's all you have in the New Testament once you are saved. Marriage is not a sacrament as such. I think we'll hold it there and return next week and look at stealing, theft, 